Kafka gives his father voice in the letter. He conjures his father. Uh, we have augmented that aspect of the letter. We've had to edit the letter. It was two and a half times longer than the play. But uh, we've also found some excerpts from fiction and diaries and other letters to interpolate into the play to give the father a more eloquent voice. Well, it gives you much more to go on, doesn't it, having both voices? Well, it's all the product of a single imagination. And yet it is an epic battle between father and son. I get the feeling from it, and I've always felt this, that we would not have had Kafka or our wonderful adjective Kafkaesque if it wasn't for Kafka's father and this, this basic struggle between father and son. It's a horrible thing to admit, but I agree with you. I think that Kafka was both created and destroyed by his father. And the act of writing this letter, which is a kind of retribution, liberated Kafka to, to write his longer novels and to uh, express himself more fully as a writer. But I have to say that one can understand from this relationship why a writer might start a story with one morning Gregor Samsa woke up and found himself to be a cockroach because the father uses the language of vermin and cockroach to describe his own son. I really did notice that. Yeah, now this is so basic, this whole relationship with metamorphosis that those who love Kafka had. Now that's why it's so extraordinary to find that it really does seem to be based in this letter, doesn't it? Absolutely. This letter is the closest thing we have to an autobiography from Kafka. He's not making up events, he is interpreting the events of his own life. And it is with his Japanese paper thin skin, his ultra sensitivity, that he is able to interpret events that many people might be able to file away as unfortunate but forgettable um, and create out of them a whole interpretation of how we relate to, of, of how we as children relate to parents, how as citizens we relate to the authority figures, and how humans we relate to God. That's a big one. I was thinking, watching your extraordinary performance, about how many centuries we've talked about an Oedipal complex. I think perhaps there should be some sort of Kafka complex about fathers and sons. Well, I, I remember when my son was born, I realized that this is elemental, that uh, fathers and sons have to duke it out. And my greatest pride as a father is to see my son beat me, and at the same time, it, it hurts. And, and I, I think in, in this case, the father unwittingly, I think, uh, ended up pummeling his son. And Kafka didn't have the tools to fight, although as a lawyer, and with the mind that he had through this letter, he does. 
Before I move on to the performance, there's a huge amount of talk in the letter about Kafka's desire to marry, and he seems to be blaming not marrying on his father. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering how much that's an excuse. Well, he definitely had fraught relationships with women. He had one relationship in, in which Felice was his betrothed for six years and strung it out. I think knowing full well from the beginning that it was never going to happen. He sought other women and he had relationships with, with women, but uh, the one which precipitates the letter is a woman named Julie, more or less common woman, who is the daughter of a synagogue sexton. And the father thinks that she's so beneath their, their family that he implies, if not outright says, that, that, that he forbids the marriage. And that's what sets uh, Kafka into a tailspin out of which this letter is disgorged over 10 days. By which time he's already ill and knows that he's going to die by the time uh, He's definitely ill with tuberculosis, and he, whether he knows the end is near, I mean, it, it comes six years later, but he definitely has a sense of his mortality, mm. and at the same time, I guess uh, all bets are off for, for, for him, that uh, something is triggered which allows him to write the letter. Now, having said that, it never was delivered. So it's really just him cleaning out his mind, isn't it? Cleaning out his soul in some way. Exactly. Mm. Yeah, this uh, was a necessary step for, for him. And, and the fact that it wasn't delivered is, is immaterial because his father would not have known how to handle this letter. So as I, I really must get on to the play, but where do you stand on the father? Hero, villain, or somewhere in between? I mean, do you think he's much maligned? Well, I, I do definitely, as an actor and as a creator of this piece, have to advocate for the father as much as I do for, for Franz. And so the way I experience this, this story, this, this, uh, this wrestling match, is that both of these, these men are striving for each other. They want the approval and the love, and they, they just don't know how to get it. From each other. It's really sad, isn't it? So, how well, for, how did you come to this knowledge and love of Kafka, and how did you come to want to translate it into this piece? I encountered Kafka as a teenager, and I felt he spoke for me. I found him fascinating, dangerous, and funny, and life-giving, and in a certain sense, exemplary of a certain way of life which is to be very honest as you examine yourself um, and not aggrandize yourself or delude yourself and I think that, that, that running through Kafka's fiction and certainly through his diaries and letters is an intense self-scrutiny. This letter I read years ago, and then a director friend of mine, with whom I had done a play about Allen Ginsberg, based on Howell. That's a great poem. Yeah, and so I had played Ginsberg, and we were looking for another literary figure <laughs> and another piece uh, to, another to, Jewish, to adapt. Another Jewish one? Yes, as it turns out, I, I end up playing a lot of Jewish uh, geniuses. <laughs> <laughs> 
but uh, he thought this would be a, a good piece to adapt and, and indeed over years we worked on it and uh, whittled it and here we are. Is this your director? My director, Mark Cassidy. Yeah, so that's the two of you working on it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it, it's wonderfully realised. How did you come to this idea that you would use these sort of pigeon coop or dove coop cages yeah. and the feathers? I've never seen feathers used like it. I mean, ba we're talking basically lot of, a lot of black feathers from... Are we talking pigeons here? Um, they, what, they're... What, what uh, yeah, <laughs> you know what, I'm not even sure, but the fascinating thing is after years of working on this play and developing with the feathers and feeling the rightness of that image we discovered that kafka means jackdaw that is really creepy isn't it yeah it's terrifying right so or beautiful it, 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 but it, in a certain sense it is part of mm. of the process that that we were intuiting things about kafka and some essences as we played with elements and whittled the thing down to metal and feathers. Yeah, I mean metal cages and the feathers. Well, I, I, I thought they were pigeons, but yes, they're, they're black, so they're jackdaws, which mm -hmm. is black. And jackdaws, of course, they love shiny things. They pick things up from all over the place, don't mm -hmm, they? Mm -hmm. so I suppose there's that as well. But there is this sense of, well, you use the feathers at one point, I would say, as the beard of a Jewish sage almost, I think you were for a moment in a synagogue or something. And oh, right, I, right, right. You had them around your face. Yeah, because it, the, each feather is, is, in a certain sense, a piece of writing as yeah. well. I mean, first of all, it starts with the quill. Yeah. The feathers become his writing, um, and in a certain sense, they're his decaying skin falling off him, his illness. But they also are, of course, the source of liberation. Mm -hmm the wings which allow him to elevate out of this relationship and somehow create, which a lot of people who have been abused by parents cannot do. Mm. And I'm not going to give it away because people should come and see it, but there's a beautiful image at the end which is, again, an image of flight and rising above it. And there are parallels with angels and so forth, I would say. Um, at one point you use a white feather that is completely different, but that is the symbol of a guardian angel, isn't it? A absolutely, mm. yeah. I mean, everything about love and uh, the, the succor and the release that love implies is contained in that one white feather mm. in the midst of a black set and a a boatload of black feathers. And then you've got the physicality of Kafka, who's quite a small man. He, well, he isn't very physical, in fact, is he? Mm -hmm. As against the large presence of his father. He was a big man, as far as I know, which I think was probably part of Kafka's problem. I mean, it's a very physical show, isn't it? As well as, obviously, it's a monologue, and it goes on for an hour, so a lot of words, but uh -huh. phys your physicality worked on very hard. Well, that is... My, my way of acting, and I do feel like embodied acting is the most exciting and it is in some part a dance piece. Yes, I'll go with that. Um, and uh, certainly, I, actually, I've done an excerpt from this play as part of a, a dance evening with contemporary uh, dancers in Canada, mm -hmm. but uh, it is necessary for me to embody a fragile, slight Franz and 
a very weighty, very imposing Herman father. To me, it's, it's not schizophrenic. It's more a case of being true to the letter in which France writes both of them. They're both in his psyche, for sure. Kafka's Judaism, you touched on that. Mm-hmm. That's all in the letter, is it? That I didn't really like going to synagogue stuff. Oh, yes. <laughs> Kafka I- I is completely revealing about his own Judaism. And I, th- I would say Judaism informs a lot of the play, not just when he explicitly mentions his experience of going to synagogue, but uh, the way that the father has, in a certain sense, co-opted the language of anti-Semitism, the vermin, the cockroach, to describe his own son. Um, those terms were in the air, and they, they were pointed at Jews in the Jewish quarter at, of, of Prague at that time. But uh, in another sense, Kafka's his manner of thinking, in a, in a lot of, I think, is very Jewish. Well, that's for sure. I mean, when I read Kafka, I can never understand how anyone could have predicted the horrors of the Second World War and the Holocaust, like he did, particularly, I think, in the trial, but also in Metamorphosis. And you're saying that some of the language that we find in Metamorphosis, the idea of the bug and the family rejecting him, is all there in his letter. I see it there, and also I think that the, the essence of the trial is contained in this relationship with the father, because the father becomes that impersonal lawmaking force which rules his life irrationally. And yet, as I say, you could say he predicted the rise of Nazism, and, and yet obviously his father is, a, is Jewish, so that's not that. I mean, I know I'm sort of young, it can't be there. But it is very chilling. If you look at some of the language in the trial, it could just be yeah. straight out of the Nazis. Well, in this play, I think we do sense that Kafka was a canary in the mine, mm. that mm, he felt point. in this relationship, which was common at the time, the Prussian father, oh. mm. and the sensitive, exploring son were irreconcilable to the point that that force which was trying to be aristocratic in the Prussian sense had to destroy that other more playful and sensitive voice. Finally, coming to you and your theatrical career, just fill me in a little bit. You say you tend to land up doing Jewish Jewish shtick. Jewish stick. I, I, I mean, I, I let's say I'm out as a Jew. I, I play a lot of Jewish characters, and, and the plays I created are often about Jewish characters, not exclusively, but uh, the Jewish story is of great interest to me in all of its manifestations. And so I've played Ginsburg, as I say, mm-hmm. Einstein, Freud. Wow. <laughs> Rabbi Akiva. My goodness me, that's the sort of... Um, <laughs> and even, arist- the even, even uh, Jesus. Oh, another aristocrat <laughs> of ours, yes. And you've got something new coming up. I do. In there's Jewish, a, anyway, there's a play called Hirsch mm. about a real person named John Hirsch who was an emigre from Hungary, a survivor of the Holocaust, who as a teenager wandered Europe trying to find a home and was adopted by the community in Winnipeg 
and ended up creating the whole idea of professional theater in Canada and becoming a visionary director who inspired and intimidated generations of the actors of Canada. And it's, it's a story which is about the immigrant, about the way the newcomer can adopt a culture and celebrate it even more than those who were, who were born into it. And uh, it's a play that I did at the Stratford Shakespeare Festival in Canada last year, and I'm taking to Edinburgh this summer. And it's, uh, it's a great privilege to do it again. We were reviewed by the New York Times. Maggie Smith came to see it, because mm. she had been directed by this gentleman. And well, she's uh, a great supporter of that festival, isn't she? Yes, in indeed. Stratford. Yes, exactly. So this is her first time there in 30 years, and she came specially to see Hirsch. Oh, that's wonderful. But for us, it's really interesting to hear about the Canadian theatre scene, Jewish or not Jewish, mm -hmm. because it's so thriving, but we don't know about it. So it's, it, it's lovely that you've done something about Europe, but for us, I think it's really exciting that you're going to bring something Canadian that's new to us. Well, thank you. I look forward to coming back this summer and meeting my friends from UK again.